You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Romans. You knew we had to get to Romans eventually, right? Romans chapter 9, or chapter 3, excuse me. And follow along as I read verses 19 through 30. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, notice that, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. That's the whole Old Testament. The righteousness of God was revealed in the Old Testament. Through faith in Jesus Christ, to all who believe, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood, through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Do you see a recurring word here? Righteousness? Where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. Contrary, we establish the law. I used to believe that if you gave people the truth, they would be able to detect the error. I don't believe that anymore. People aren't getting it. You can tell them the truth, and they may believe that, but they don't see an opposing view as wrong, just different. And if you say it's wrong, you're seen as being judgmental, intolerant, and unloving. There's a popular hymn that says, I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. That is patently false. And if that's what you're hanging your hopes on, you're on your way to hell this very minute. It's not enough that Jesus died for you. Am I a heretic? Let's see. We also sing another hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Those two hymns contradict each other. That's why we ought never to get our theology from our hymn book. We ought to get it from our Bible. That's why there's one denomination, the Reformed Presbyterian Church North America, they only sing the Psalms a cappella. 
because they've believed that if we're singing what God wrote, there won't be any error. There are a couple hymns that drive me crazy. One is my mother-in-law's favorite hymn. It's called In the Garden. I come to the garden alone. I believe any hymn that starts with the word I should be ripped out. I was sinking deep in sin. Love lifted. Love didn't lift anything. Christ lifted you. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. Oh, a Hallmark movie. (laughs) And then there's Jesus, and he walks with me, and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share is we tarry it. None other has ever known. You're the only Christian that's ever lived, obviously. There's a cute little story about the boy that came home from Sunday school. His mother says, what'd you learn today? And he says, we learned what God's name is. Really? What is it? Andy. God's name is Andy. Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. Andy tells me I am his own. That's what they said. For me, the worst one is this, that has God dying. That thou, my God, should die for me. God can't die. It's impossible for God to die. So why would we sing that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Well, Jesus was God. That's not what it says. I've been trying to get people to sing that thou, O Christ, should die for me. That thou, my Lord, should die for me. God can't die. You don't do God any favors by singing error about him. I said this at Grace Church the first time I preached there. I looked at Clayton. I said, do you want a list of hymns I think are okay? We're always ready to hear hymns and sermons about the blood of Jesus. But we very seldom hear a sermon or a song about the righteousness of Jesus. But... According to the song we sing, we're building our hope on nothing less. The blood of Christ alone applied to your account will keep you out of hell, but it'll do nothing to get you into heaven. For that you must be, as Paul says, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. In Romans 3, Paul not only ascribes salvation to the blood of Christ, but also to the righteousness of Christ. He tells us that righteousness is through faith in Christ for all those who believe. In Romans 4, 6, Paul quotes David speaking of the blessing on the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. And notice in Romans five nineteen, it is through the obedience of Christ that we're made righteous, not through his death. It's through his obedience, through his perfect sinless life that we are made righteous when that is imputed to our account. Imputation is a key word in the gospel. What Christ did is imputed to me as if I had actually done it. And God accepts me for what Christ did. Now much of this discussion of righteousness has to do with our understanding of the covenant. When a person acts as a true covenant partner, he's said to be righteous. God is said to be righteous because all of his actions are true to his covenant oath. God is absolutely dependable as a covenant partner. Now, as the other covenant partner, man is required to reflect the image of God as creator. 
The Ten Commandments are the stipulations that rest on man, the human partner. When a man is true to his covenant obligations, he's said to be righteous. In fact, Deuteronomy 6 defines this for us. It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. So perfect obedience would be righteous, but none of us has it. John Calvin said, The law of God contains perfect righteousness. We willingly confess that perfect obedience to the law is righteousness and that the keeping of each commandment is a part of righteousness. And he said, Righteousness consists in the observance of the law. In Romans 2, Paul begins his words about God's grace by stating that God is, he does not begin his message on God's grace by stating that God has relented on his demands for righteousness. He brings Jew and Gentile before God to show God is absolutely uncompromising in his demand for his, God never lowers his standard. Arthur Pink once said in his book, Saving Faith, If the gospel were more faithfully preached, there would be fewer people professing to believe it. He says, we've so watered down the gospel, even the non-elect can't refuse it. God requires a holy life of people. The justice of God's judgment seat requires exact and obedience to the perfect, to God's law. And man cannot be saved unless that law is fulfilled, every jot and tittle of it. Again, to quote Calvin, the Lord promises nothing except to keepers of his law. There's a hymn that we sing that I think is solid. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Here's the human predicament. No one of that kind is to be found that keeps God's law. And this is where God stepped into our dilemma and provided for us a substitute in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 7, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Not only by his blood, which atones for our offenses, but by his righteousness, he reconciles us to God and presents us in the sight of divine justice as if we had actually kept the law ourselves. That's wonderfully foretold in the Old Testament in Isaiah 42. God talks about his chosen servant. He says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people. Speaking of Christ, he repeats that in Isaiah 49. Well, what does all that mean? Well, God had entered into covenant with his people, but they had failed time and time and time again. So God entered into covenant with himself through Christ, because Christ is the only one he could count on to be faithful. It's as if God were saying, it has to be him. He's the only one I can trust. I love Southern gospel music. Great harmony, unbelievable tenors. There's a group I really like called Ernie Haas and Signature Sound, H-A-A-S-E. It was the outgrowth of the older group, the Imperials. 
And the song that they're most noted for singing is, Oh, What a Savior. Absolutely abominable theology. It says, Once I was sinking in sin's dark valley, no hope could I see. But they looked around heaven and they found a Savior to save a poor wretch like, He didn't look anywhere. He volunteered. It wasn't like they held auditions. God called his son and said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to earth, live among them, be insulted, beat, whipped, and killed. How's that sound so far? And Jesus said, Father, if that's what you want, then that's what I'll do. That's submission, folks. If that's what you want, that's what I'll do. He didn't look around heaven. Hey, you may see one guy, maybe... He volunteered. That's why you can never say that the death of Christ was unfair. He volunteered. He said, I'll do that. There's a popular, quote, Christian song. It calls Jesus a victim of the cross. Jesus wasn't a victim of anything. He was in charge the whole time. In fact, he said, no man takes my life. I'll lay it down. You can't call that murder. I mean, those people are responsible for murdering Christ. But he was the one in charge, not the Romans, not the Jews. The righteous servant Christ is humble and yet powerful. Jeremiah prophesies of Christ as being a righteous branch. The Lord complains about the shepherds of Israel who scatter and destroy the flocks. And God says, I'll raise up a faithful shepherd and by him save his people. Jeremiah gives us the hope of salvation that every one of us here is hanging our hat on. Jeremiah 23. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. When you pass from this life and go to stand before God, say it's me. John used to say, always make yourself the bad example. Here it is. And God says, who are you? Don Kistler. Nope. Don't have any Don Kistler down here. Sorry. But if he says, who are you? My name is Don. The Lord is my righteousness. Oh, one of my son's boys. Come on in. I was talking about movies last night. One of my favorites is a movie that Disney made called Miracle. It's the story of the 1980 Olympic hockey team, all college boys for the U.S. that beat the Russians. It's a fantastic movie. The Russians were all professional hockey players. They hadn't lost a game in 15 years. They played an exhibition game, and the Russians beat the U.S. team 10-3. So going into this game, nobody said the U.S. had a chance. We beat them. 
And what means so much to me is that I remember watching that on television. It was on ABC. For that few moments, there were no Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives. We were all proud Americans. Look what our boys did. Well, as the movie opens up, Herb Brooks, and Kurt Russell should have got an Academy Award for playing Herb Brooks as a coach. Best job of a coach I've ever seen on TV. I coached for 22 years, and I grade these guys. He's starting to put his team together. So he calls them to the center ice, and he says, let's, uh, let's get acquainted. Give me your name, where you're from, and who you played for. Start over here. My name's uh, Tom Reynolds. I'm from uh, uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, and I played for you at the University of Minnesota. Did you? What's your name? My name's Mike Ruzioni. I'm from Winthrop, Massachusetts. I played for Boston College. Really? What's your name? Each guy gave his name, his hometown, and the college he played for. And Herbert said, we're not a team. It's a bunch of individuals. And they were still fighting. Boston College beat Minnesota, so they fought on the ice right there at the Olympic trials. So the last game before the Olympics opens is against Finland. We should have blown them off the ice. They were ahead 2-1 to one with 15 seconds to go. We scored a goal and tied them. And the next thing is the Olympics started. Nobody's giving us a shot. So they start to skate off the ice, and Herb Brooks blows his whistle. Back on the ice. Why? The game's over. You didn't want to work during the game. We're going to work now. Blue line. Now, think of a hockey rink. There's the goal line, a midline, a center line, another midline, and another goal line. Center line back. Blue line back. Center line back. Midline back. Goal line all the way back. That was one. They did it for an hour. Now, these guys had just played a hockey game. Some of them were starting to falter. Guys were heaving on the ice. We did that in football. We call them gassers because when you've done a few, you're out of gas. They call these Herbies because of Herb Brooks. He did it for an hour. The guy who ran the rink says, I've got to close up. Herb says, give me the key. I'll lock up. The team doctor says, Herb, you're going to kill these boys. He said, they'll wish. Again, and finally, some of them can't even stand up on their hockey sticks. And he says to them, you cannot be a team of uncommon men. Uncommon men go nowhere. You have to be uncommon men. Again, and all of a sudden he hears this, Mike Ruzioni, where are you from? Winthrop, Massachusetts. Who do you play for? I play for the United States of America. Good night, gentlemen. I'll see you tomorrow. They had to lose their identity to come together as a team. And then they did something no team had done in 15 years. They beat the Soviets and won the gold. That wasn't the gold medal game. The next one was. But they beat the Soviets. And... People are shouting and cheering, USA, 
USA. We had all come together. If we are saved, it's because the Lord is your righteousness. It's because you play for Him. It's because we take the name, the Lord, our righteousness, to be our name. Christ's life was a life full of God's Spirit, a life of humility, patient trust in God, zeal for God's glory, perfect submission to God's will, and unflinching courage to do the work God gave him to do. When Christ died on the cross, do you remember what the Roman centurion said? Surely this was a righteous man. He came to be baptized, he said to John, in order to fulfill all righteousness. Philippians 2 says that Christ was obedient unto death. Literally, it means he was obedient until death. This takes account all of Christ's life from the manger to the cross. He went lower and lower and lower in the path of submission till he hit the cross and there was no place lower to go. And Paul calls this the righteousness of one. This was a vicarious righteousness, by the way. Christ didn't be righteous for his own self. He had to be righteous for you and for me. Christ voluntarily assumed our obligation so he could do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That's a pretty good Christian song. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Christ's righteousness was of infinite value. A lot of people died on crosses back then. That was pretty common. But only one person in all of history hung on a cross and saw God turn his back like this on his own son. You know what that proves? If God won't accept sin in his own son, he's certainly not going to accept it in you or anybody else. Adam and Eve, before God could close their nakedness, a beast had to yield its life so they could wear its skin. Death made the skins available, but it was the life of the animal that produced the coat. Romans 5 says, While we were enemies to God, we were reconciled through the death of his Son. Much more. Well, that much more. There's so much more there. Having been saved, reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Paul says in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of Christ is revealed. I hate that phrase. We went out to share the gospel. Preach the gospel. Sharing is eyeball to eyeball. I'm no better than you are. Richard Baxter said it this way. He says, uh, me preaching is one beggar telling another beggar where he can find some bread. When I first started to preach, I would often get introduced this way. Here's Mr. Kistler. He's come to share what's on his heart. I got so tired of that. And at one church, I, I wasn't as sensitive then as I am tonight in front of you. He said, here's Mr. Kistler. He's come to share what's on his heart. I got it. I said, I did not. The only thing on my heart is cholesterol. I didn't come to share that. I've come to preach. Never invited back. (laughs) 
The blood of Christ washes away the stain of our guilt, and the righteousness of Christ clothes us with the righteousness that God demands. Faith doesn't offer God any righteousness of its own. That would be non-saving faith. We're not to place our faith in our faith. As if that were some kind of meritorious work. There's no merit in your faith. All the merit is in Christ in whom we place our faith. I told you last night about that crash where they found a hope hand with the fingers crossed. If you stand before God with anything other than the merits of Christ and the righteousness of Christ, that's all you're doing. We must say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we must also say, my hope is built on nothing more than Jesus' blood and righteousness. If you add anything to what Christ has done, you've subtracted it all. Don't make that mistake. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.